You're a wizard, Harry. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and today we have a special two-for-one episode where we do chapters two and three. We'll start with chapter two, The Vanishing Glass, and we're lucky enough to have Anna back with us again. Hey guys! So we'll just get right into it with the non-spoiler uh, discussion. Anna, what did you think of chapter two? I mean, it kind of makes me sad because it's like introduction to, hey Harry, the first 11 years of your life kind of sucked. Yeah, not great. Yeah. Not great. Um, for those that don't know me who are listening to this right now, which is probably hopefully most of you, um, <laughs> I'm a large dude. I'm six foot four, okay? He's lying. I'm joking. Yes, I'm a giant. Uh, not Hagrid giant, but still a giant. Um, but Harry living in the cupboard under the stairs. And he calls it my cupboard. It's so sad. That hits me hard because yeah. I couldn't. I just could not. No, you could not. You probably couldn't live in a cupboard even when you were 10 years old. And, you know, they mention, like, it probably is part of the reason that he's more of a smaller, scrawnier type kid. Yeah, because he was probably malnourished because they didn't yep. feed him. That too. That too. Vernon and Petunia have an actual son, not an adopted one or a forced adopted uh, child. Son. Uh, yes. Um, Dudley. Um, and they could not have... A more different lifestyle. Mm, yep. Um, it, it's a really interesting comparison between the two and how Vernon and Petunia deal with Dudley versus how they deal with Harry. Uh, I think it makes... I, I actually believe it is the truest testimony to the true nature of both Petunia and Vernon that you can find in the whole series. Like, it just proves how truly awful they are because they just the way they treat Dudley and fawn over Dudley and then just make Harry stay in his cupboard for weeks on end have him cook breakfast and almost treat him like a slave which I was gonna say like it's literally servitude yes and I mean to treat a child like that it's child abuse plain and simple and I think that is just too Petunia and Vernon I feel like it's almost child abuse to both kids because I think they're doing both oh, kids a disservice. Absolutely, they turn deadly into a monster. They're just not great parents. That's very true. Um, <laughs> and you know, you don't know. You know more about Vernon than you do it, than you do about Petunia at this point true. in time, um, which is probably set up on purpose. Probably. Um, you know that. Petunia has a very interesting family mm -hmm. uh, that Vernon is very careful not to mention because it sets her on edge. Um, but that's about all you really know about her side of the family. Yeah. 
Uh, not that you know anything about Vernon's side of the family. You really don't know anything. He has a sister named Marge. That's true. Who's ill. Yes. Well, but she's vacationing. I'm very jealous. She's vacationing everywhere. <laughs> That's I'm true. quite jealous <laughs> of her, actually. Of course you are. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So, it's an interesting kind of dynamic between the two children in the house. And um, as they grow up together, it continues to be contentious, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Um, considering Dudley's favorite pastime is punching Harry. Punching Harry. So that's awesome. Um, but I, I think the real key to their dynamic is in this chapter where it's Dudley's birthday. And you just see a stark comparison. Um, also, Dudley is just awful. He's 11, 10 or 11, right? He's around the same age as Harry. He'd be turning 11. Now. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, he can't add two. He literally can't do <laughs> the simplest of math. No. <sighs> well, because his parents oh. don't force him to do anything. They just do it for him. So why should he learn that 37 plus 2 is 39? 39 presents? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? I don't even have that many presents on Christmas, nor do I want that many... No, I, I think the most presents I ever got on one specific day that wasn't a birthday party where I had, like, my entire class over for a bowling party or something <laughs> like that. The most I probably had was maybe 12? Maybe? I don't know, because I don't count my presents. Like, I feel like a good person sees presents is grateful for whatever it is. You don't... It, it's not supposed to be the number that counts. Correct. And then, and then, yeah. But to Dudley, of course it is. Of course it is. And some of it's just, like, ridiculous presence, as we get into later. But it's, um, like, I can't remember how many video games they said. They're, like, 19 video games or something like that. Something like some that. Some crazy number. Yeah. Or computer games. And a racing bike that he'll probably never ride. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's money well spent by the, uh, the Dursleys there. But no, it's a very interesting comparison, and then they go... Well, especially because I think they also mention that for Harry's last birthday, they gave him, like, a hanger. And Vernon's old socks. Yeah. Now there's a comparison. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, coat hangers, very useful. Not so much if you're living in a cupboard. <laughs> um, but, um, it's a very interesting dynamic. And, and then Harry ends up talking about just the difference between outings. Yep. Um, you know, every time they take Dudley somewhere, anywhere, um, he gets shipped off to Mrs. Fig. Uh, Mrs. Fig. Um, who we can talk about a little bit more expansively later. But, um, yeah, it's just he goes to the zoo, and then they have this really long argument about what to do with Harry. Like, it spans yeah. paragraphs. Yeah. Yeah, he can't be left alone in the house because he might burn down the house. He can't be locked in the car in the middle of summer because it's Vernon's brand new car. Not the fact that you're leaving a kid locked exactly. in the car in the right. summer. Exactly, yes. no. Child abuse. Oh, it's really shocking the level yeah. of child endangerment in this <laughs> family, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Um so, yeah, and then the, the outing to the zoo, you get, um, what, what's his name, Piers Polkis? Yes. Um, one of Who Dudley's best like mates. like a rat. Yes. Yikes. 
Well, you got you got uh, half of a barn here. You got Dudley looking like an overgrown pig, <laughs> and you have Pierce Polkis looking like a rat. That's uh, lovely. Uh, J.K. painting a wonderful <laughs> picture of these characters, uh, as always. Um, but yeah, um, I love the zoo. I love going to the zoo. That's super sure. awesome. Uh, gives Harry a way to dodge and get away from all of the torture when they get bored with the animals. Um, he got to eat the Knickerbocker Glory, which, if memory serves, is some sort of big ice cream sundae type thing. Mm-hmm. Because the first one that Dudley got didn't have, it wasn't big enough. Yes. And that's the only reason that Harry got one. And he was happy for it. He was excited to eat a Knickerbocker Glory. Like, that's so, it's so sad. You're talking about a kid that wanted to stay at home so he could do what? Just watch the news. Like, just watch any, it didn't even matter what. Just watch something on a TV was, that would have been heaven. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting life. So, um, but at the zoo, um, they find an awesome boa constrictor mm-hmm. behind glass, and Dudley gets upset, and they tap on the glass, and they pound on the glass, and It's boring. Nothing. It's not doing anything. Make it do something. And, um... And then Harry has a moment with the snake. Um, I wouldn't call it a conversation per se, but an understanding between the two. Yeah. Um, too easy to say it's a magical understanding, <laughs> but clearly something is going on here um, that you know the snake responds to Harry and seems to understand what he's even thinking. Right. Um, and doesn't it stand out to you that, like, Harry doesn't think anything weird about it. Harry's not nervous, scared, thinking anything other. It just seems like he's kind of excited to have a friendly conversation. He also seems to understand the snake. Yeah. Because it's not oh, like the yeah, snake's absolutely. doing anything really above and beyond anything yeah. outrageous. But mm-hmm. he's like, oh, yeah, that was definitely a wink. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's definitely staring at me. He's definitely, like, nodding to something I said or thought or whatever. It's like, oh, I'm... Definitely communicating with the snake right now. Um, but yes, he thinks nothing of it. Just like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. Yeah. Definitely a thing that happens. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, Dudley being Dudley, um, <laughs> pushes him out of the way and in the kerfuffle. Kerfuffle, such a good word. Thank you. In the, <laughs> in the kerfuffle that happens, um, the glass disappears. And the snake is able to escape, and uh, Dudley and Piers have actually pretty entertaining recollections of they the do. events, they do. Uh, which is great. And then, you know, the snake also is able to recognize that it was Harry who made the glass disappear because his parting words are "Thanks, amigo." Mm-hmm. So there's more again recognition between the snake and Harry. Clearly, a bond. That goes a lot deeper than literal words. Yes. Um, So there's that. And then, you know, Piers ends up accidentally throwing Harry under the bus by saying, (laughs) oh, yeah, he was talking to the snake. (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, Vernon doesn't take too well to that. No. Shocking. Um, Yeah. So an interesting day at the zoo. Yeah, I'd say so more for, interesting for than probably everybody. That had to be on the news, right? Had. That had to be on the news. The snake I escapes. hope so. Yeah, probably be a thing. Probably forewarn London that there's a boa constrictor on the loose. Probably not great. Thank God it's the summer, because that would 
be in trouble if it was like a London winter. Yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap up our chapter two non-spoilers. Uh, we're actually going to move on to chapter three non-spoilers and then take a little break and we'll do spoilers for chapter two and chapter three. So stick with us and we'll be back after the break. In the dungeon! Turn in the dungeon! Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right. So we are back from break and we're going to go into chapter three, the letters from no one. This is a non-spoiler, so don't worry about that. Anna, what do you think about chapter three? I've always really liked chapter three. I just think it's kind of goofy fun all the different letters all the different ways Vernon tries to avoid the letters um more differences between Harry and Dudley it's it's uh it's a funny chapter yeah I think the the humor that stuck out to me the most was just the sheer snark of whoever actually ends up writing those Hogwarts letters I don't know the actual person that does it but, man, they have a brutal sense of humor. I like to think it's McGonagall. But also, if you think about it, like, forget about the snark of the Hogwarts letter. We get introduced to Harry's snark in That's this true, chapter. That's true, we do. Like, Harry is a very sassy person. Very good sense of humor. Yeah. We're talking... When he's, um talking to Dudley, and Dudley's talking about practicing sticking his head in the toilet. Yes. I had the same thought. Yes. Oh my God. Harry's just, he's clever. He's funny. He gives Aunt Petunia grief about not knowing his uniform had to be so wet. Like he's just. Very quick sense of humor. And Um, it only gets funnier. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. This is a very first glimpse of his personality. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. As an example of the snark of Hogwarts, the smallest bedroom of number four. Like, was that really necessary, Hogwarts? But he moves to the bedroom because of all these letters coming in. And Vernon's like, okay, maybe we should upgrade him and maybe this will stop. Vernon goes really crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's already borderline issues. But here he kind of goes off the I like to think of it as the mental deterioration of Vernon Dursley. Well, that's clinical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just happens anytime he's presented with magic. Yes. Uh, but at what point do you're just like, okay, I get camping out in front of the door. Fine. A little weird. But that's an acceptable yeah. logic. I could see his logic there. Sure. Got you. But when they start pouring in through the chimney, are you just like, time out. This is a little weird. Maybe I should do something about this. How about the day that they describe him as looking around in the forest and then getting back in the car and driving away? Looking around a field, getting back in the car and driving away. Like, what? He just looks crazy. Yeah, and this is the first time I think they both stand up to Dudley and are like, nope. This is, we're putting our foot down yes, here, and this is what so we're doing. True. Absolutely, you're just and gonna have to deal with it. Shocks Dudley. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if I were Dudley too. Like this is the first yeah. time you're saying no to me. 
What is that word? I just learned that word now, and I'm 11. And it has something to do with Harry, which means in some weird way, you're kind of putting Harry above me. Nothing mm-hmm. is put above Dudley. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, he gets his own photo shoot. <laughs> he gets his own modeling in this chapter. He does. And that Model awful, that awful orange and maroon, and by the way, they don't give us a picture, so I'm imagining this in my head, of just this awful orange and maroon and what really puts it a straw hat really that's yeah that's what puts it over the top for me i can make maroon and orange work but a straw hat i think it's very british though yeah well yeah british boarding school type thing well the stick definitely is oh my god the stick the smelting stick so for those that are not aware anna and i actually went to the same high school so we were, Red Hawks. yes, um, so we were kind of comparing, like, our school, because uni- we had school uniforms. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, a, we didn't have a stick. We didn't have a stick. Um, our colors, thankfully, were not maroon and orange. Oh, God, that. Uh, red, white, and black. Um, so better color scheme. You can describe what the girls wore, but, you know, for the guys, we had shirt and tie, Oh, and Fridays we had polos. Ooh, and don't forget you had, your hair could not go below your collar. That's true, and I can't have the beard that I'm currently sporting, so all of that. But uh, no straw hat. No straw hat. Um, Girls didn't get a straw hat. Just, you know, skirt, that. You know, you would think the girls would wear their skirts nice and short. When we rocked Marist, oh no, it was like as long as could possibly be. We were not looking all smart and put together like I'm imagining Dudley in his photo shoot. I have to admit. <laughs> the first days as a freshman, maybe, and then you just realize, why bother? And exactly. then you just show up with whatever you look exactly. like in the morning. Not a real boarding school vibe. <laughs> but certainly closer to it than Stonewall, probably. For sure. Be. For sure. Um, yeah, they're... Beautiful gray outfits that they have to apparently, but we're getting this from Petunia. Exactly. So it's an unreliable narrator here so about true. what the uniform actually looks so like. So true. Um, although she's going to the work to actually dye it, so valid point. Valid point. Probably some of the mo- biggest effort she's put in for Harry in his life. Easily. Which is again sad. And she put Dudley through the suffering of having to smell the dye throughout so the house. So true, so true. We're really trying to nitpick any positive <laughs> that we can get out of Vernon and Petunia. And one thing that drove me nuts in the first couple of chapters is just her nicknames for Dudley. Oh, see, those just make me laugh. Oh, they drive me nuts. Oh, they're so funny. Well, dums <laughs> That one bothers me the most. Like... Dudley, uh, Ickle, I know, is like a term of endearment on some level, in yeah. at, le- at least the UK. I, I get that. But Dudleykins is whatever. But Dinky Duddy Dumbs, or whatever that well, was. especially considering he is 10 years old now. 11 years old by this point. Yes. These are nicknames you would use for a baby, and it would still be obnoxious. He is the baby. Mm, so true. He is. Uh, yeah, that bothers me. And then when I was writing up the outline for this episode, um, I thought of coming up with a few of these types of nicknames for Anna. And then I realized that I didn't want to get murdered. I thought better of it and didn't do that. Um, but yeah, it was something that stuck (laughs) out to me in the first couple. 
Um, yeah, it, it's just a very interesting chapter with kind of, like you said, the the degradation of Vernon and just him sloping downwards yeah. to madness. Pulling um, out his mustache. And risking everyone's lives by trying to row out to an island. Yes. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he brought rations. Yes. Chips. He brought chips. Which, you know, for Vernon, I mean, you'd think he would have prepared a little bit better. So true. It's not... No. I guess it wasn't his priority. No, it was getting the heck away from all of the owls that were chasing him throughout um, all of England at that point. Uh, I also want to know, what did the post people tell you? Like, when you called, they were like, we didn't send you anything. What are you talking about? We have no record of this. Did Nothing. you call the post? Because, I mean, deep down, Vernon knows who it's coming from. He knows, you know... This is Harry. Oh, you're giving him a lot of credit for being smart. Well, he wrote the letters, Dan. <laughs> he knows it's from Hogwarts. He knows True. it's something to do with magic. And I think he is just holding on so tight to that, you know, normality and his his muggledom that he just convinces himself he can outsmart these these weirdos in cloaks. Very interesting Vernon chapter. Oh, me. yeah. Very interesting Vernon chapter. Again, very heavy on on the Dursleys these first few chapters. We are going to go ahead and take that break, and then we are coming back with spoilers for chapter two and chapter three. So stick with us. in the dungeon! in the dungeon! All right, we are back with spoilers for chapter two and chapter three. So if you haven't read beyond these chapters uh just join us next week when we tackle chapter four but we are going to get into it um anna what do you want to start with well i feel like the biggest spoiler for chapter two is you know talking to the snake and partial tongue but what i would start with is actually mrs fig because she just you think she's just you know the crazy cat lady neighbor and she actually, you know, as we read the books and continue through the series eventually, is a much more, I don't know that we can call her important, but she definitely has a larger role to play. And find, come to find out she's a member of the Order of the Phoenix, knows Dumbledore, and I think that even goes back to some of our discussion from the first podcast in our series talking about Dumbledore and how he can find ways to use people who are just so loyal to him and he basically turned Mrs. Fig into a spy on Harry for his entire life. Yep. Which to her credit I don't know if this was calculating on her part or literally this is just who she is but she played her role extraordinarily well. Which she apologizes for. She didn't want to make Harry miserable. I think she wants to... She doesn't think of it as spying on him. I think she genuinely cares about Harry. She genuinely thought that chocolate cake was wonderful. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I know he doesn't get this at home, so clearly it's... Don't you kind of wish, though, that... And who knows, maybe these aren't a thing in the UK, but don't you kind of wish she had served him fig newtons? Mm. Uh, yeah, that would yeah, be appropriate. I know. That would be very appropriate. Yeah. Well, she's a missus. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if her husband was Newton? Oh, so good. Mm. Never thought of that. Yep. 
Well played. Dude, we don't ever meet her husband, do we? Like, at all, ever. No, no <laughs> yeah. for all we know, Mr. Fig is non-existent. Can you imagine that? Mr. Fig, comma, Newton? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> we are getting <laughs> off track like we tend to do. Uh, welcome to some of our very minor conversations. Uh, hope you enjoy. Um, yes, but Mrs. Fig does play a larger role, for sure. And it's interesting to see her early on in this relationship of kind of, you wonder how, like, did she go up to the Dursleys and just be like, oh, I'll watch him, or I wonder point. how that relationship really started. That's a good point. Um, or they just witnessed how weird she was, and they're like, That's how can good. we torture Harry more? <laughs> Cat lady. Yes. <laughs> Which, that also is a very plausible answer. Um, if you wanted to turn more sinister... Somebody could have done a little spell work to plant the idea in the Dursley's mind to bring Harry to Mrs. Fig. But let's not think that way. That's that's very true, too. Going back to that first chapter, it's like, they know how horrible his life is going to be. Yeah. They're very aware, um, but they decide that he's better off out of the spotlight, out of the limelight. Uh, uh, you know, away from being the famous Harry Potter for at least a decade of his life. Which is probably true to a certain extent. Yeah, there's there's truth to that. There's, um, you know, this is a spoiler. Uh, so, I mean, he could end up being, like, a Draco-type character yes. who just gets told he's awesome and he gets money and gets fame and gets all this stuff just because of his last name. Mm-hmm. Or, you know... Or, or any of the others that are, you know, Blaze Beanie is very well off. And, Cormac you know, McClagan. And Cormac McClagan is very well off, and then so on and so on. Um, yeah, Cormac's a really good example, actually. Uh, I know. Uh, could. Can you imagine Harry being no, Cormac? I don't want to. Uh, now, what you could really compare him to is would he have been slightly more like James before James grew up? Which we can yeah. talk more about when we get more into James eventually. More serious. I could see him being a little yes. bit both. Mm-hmm. You know, well-known, well-off families. Yeah. Talented dudes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah. It could be a very different life for Harry. So, you know, it is child. It's flat child abuse. Yeah. <laughs> what we're he's not, experiencing. We're not saying it's good. Uh, the child that's that he That's a little aggressive. Yeah. Um, and they are awful, awful caretakers of children. Um, the but we are saying we like who Harry is. Who he find he still finds a way to be a lovable young man. That was a lot of Mrs. Fig. Wow, I didn't it think was. we were getting. I know, oh, right? Wow. Okay. Wow. Didn't That's think we'd we get do. that much out of Mrs. Fig. Um, <laughs> so moving back to the thing that you glossed over so nicely at the beginning was the idea of Harry communicating with snakes. And the parcel tongue being um, a thing, uh, which she introduces quite early, yeah, which is awesome. And I'm assuming she had a plan for the parcel tongue because it's too big of a detail not to. Exactly. And it comes up very quickly. It's not like we're going to have to wait a long amount of time through the books to get back to parcel tongue. Yes. So, I remember, and this is branch of the, we're talking about spoilers and Harry Potter fandom as a whole here in these spoilers, so, they're talking about a little bit of everything, but, um, the idea later in the books was like, oh, I wonder if that snake ends up being, like, Nagini, 
I remember that being like a rumor or a comment or a fan theory or if you read fan fiction, that was a thing. <laughs> like, you'd, you'd find those threads. Oh, absolutely. Um, I miss those threads. I miss them too. Where you like had big discussions of what was going to happen. My site that I frequented uh, was uh, Veritas Serum. Oh, see, I was a MuggleNet girl. I, I, you know, MuggleNet was very popular, um, but I was I there to see I actually met the creator of MuggleNet. I have his autograph. Folks, we are nerds. <laughs> uh, um, but that's why you're listening. <laughs> um, so that was officially put to rest. But And we'll talk about Nagini a little bit more later, but uh, Parcel Tongue being introduced here is really interesting, because it's super early. Well, and it's interesting that, like, you might not even think of it as Parcel Dung being introduced, because, like, we kind right. of spoke about earlier, it's kind of just, like, winks and little nods just and be another magic thing. understanding Harry's thoughts. It's just, like, this weird thing I about wizards Harry. can do that, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like McGonagall with the, the Animagus kind of thing. It's just like, oh, that can happen. It's not a rare gift by any stretch. Until, you know, it's a very interesting spoiler, Hermione points out to us. It's not a normal gift. It's it's just one of those things where you go back and reread the series and you're like, oh, wow. Like, the significance of this throwaway little yeah. story is massive. And it's just it's really interesting to reread the series, obviously. Uh, and if you have reread the series, I'm, I'm, let us know what you're thinking about all yes. of these spoilers, please. Speaking of Parseltongue and the Snake, I just wanted to get into the idea of children with magical abilities. And it's one thing if you're in a wizard household. Right. Your parents can protect you. They literally sure. have safeguards. Yes. They know what to look for. All that stuff. They know how to stop whatever magic is happening. Correct. But if you're a muggle-born, yeah. or in Harry's case, uh, you know, supplanted one, and you're, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. fostered into a different family of some sort, Man, that must be... Scary. Scary and dangerous. Yeah. Literally, he sent a boa constrictor out <laughs> in a zoo where there's small children. <laughs> like, well, I think about other common magical things like fires, um, floods. Like, if a child just randomly starts Blowing something like up. that... Yeah, yeah. Always a good time. <laughs> um, what this are Anna advocating for blowing supposed up. to... No. Yes. Unless their name is Marge. Mm. We'll get there. <laughs> Except I have an Aunt Marge, so not my Aunt Marge. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, and, and, you know, going back to our discussion on the Dursleys not wanting Harry to be left alone, Maybe that's, that's the validity to point. their point. Yeah. Of, like, we don't want him to burn the house down. And Harry's like, I'm not gonna... I live here. Why would I burn the house down? Well, it might not be on purpose. You might, but whatever. to be fair, Harry would have just been happy playing his computer games, True. watching TV. Dudley's not chasing him around, and all of a sudden Harry's on the roof. Like, there would be no reason for him to set fire to the car. Yeah. Unless he overheated. Is it summer? Yeah, he could blow it. I mean, he has a bad history with cars. That's bad. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, no, I, I reading this chapter, I'm just kind of thinking about all of those instances where it's like, man, that can be scary and terrifying and dangerous. And I wonder how many people have been, like, seriously injured by a, like, six-year-old child's, <laughs> like, outburst that ends up, like, 
having a knife fly across the room or oh, something. That's scary. Um, and I know the Ministry of Magic has like their own division yes. to help deal with those things. Right. Um, but it also brings up the larger question, and I don't have this in our outline, so I'm blindsiding Anna with this idea now as I think of it. I'm excited. Um, but it brings up the larger question of, so the secret of magic. Mm. That's a lot to control. It's a lot to control generally. Of course. Um, That is hard. But when you have Muggleborns or even split, you know, families, it's hard to be like, oh yeah, you guys, you can't say a word about this. Right. How do you even feel comfortable, like, like, is it... Seamus Finnegan, my mom's a witch, my mm-hmm. dad's a uh, muggle. Yep. Bit of a nasty surprise for him when he found out. Right. How do you feel comfortable marrying someone, keeping that huge part of who you are? What are you allowed you to tell? To are you allowed it? to tell, like, your grandparents? Not if they're like, muggles. I don't know. You know how that, like, yeah. think about that. You're hiding secret, like a big yeah. secret who you from are. your family. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... When you really start breaking it down, it's a very deep issue. Yeah. And they can't possibly monitor. What are they going to do? Like, every time a dad slips, you know, saying something about his kid or whatever, or makes a flippant comment that isn't even intended to spoil something, but it's just a comment that makes people go, huh, are they going to show up at his door and just be like... I nope, mean, we're fixing this whole thing. How could they? Do they bug every single conversation? I mean... That's a good point. I they, don't know. They police underage magic by putting the trace on all of the under-17s. But they really just trust the parents to really do the policing for them. But, I mean... How does a trace even work, though, for, like, a muggle-born? Like, obviously they know if you're from a magical family, you probably need this. But if it's a Muggleborn, they wouldn't know until a certain point, right? Like, when are they, like, made aware of this Muggleborn out in, like, there Bristol somewhere? There must be some indicator, because I think magic, like... I mean, magic always leaves a... <laughs> magic comes with grace. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a way that, what is it, when they're a child, they're supposed to show some sort of magic. That's why Neville was dropped out of the window by his uncle because he hadn't shown a sign of magic yet. And so I think when you're in a magic family, people are looking for it. Right. But if you're in a muggle family, there it's must harder. be some way for the ministry to be informed of a first magic thing. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It's just something that I... But that was a theory that people had when, you know, Nagini started popping up in the books yeah. and was a thing. Yeah, and they're right. like, oh, maybe that was the same snake that, you know, Harry. But... Which would have been fun, but we didn't want him to be evil. So I'm glad that theory was wrong. That's true. And it ended up being officially debunked in the um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find the Movies. Um, oh, gosh, that's true. That was officially debunked there because yeah. we got the origin of Nagini. Right, of of, well, I was just having this conversation yes. with you. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking like, that's gotta be hard. Yeah. Um, well, that's why Harry got in trouble for Dobie's magic because ministry does their best, but they're not exactly great at much. They say like, okay, Harry Potter has been on the list forever because he's right. from a magical family and obviously he, you know, had some momentous <laughs> occasions <laughs> early in his life. Um, so... Obviously, After all, we know Argus Filch 
at one, for all we know, he came from a super magic family and was on a list, but he's squid. Yep. So how do they find out? You know, yeah, it's a valid question. It's an interesting thought. Yes. Again, if you guys have thoughts or comments surrounding this, uh, let us we know. clearly like to talk about it. So tell us. Yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation at the very least. So yeah, let us know. Again, the podcast Twitter is at Hogwarts a pod. Our Twitters, mine is at Daniel underscore Allen forty four. I'm at AC underscore Solger. What other spoilers do we have to talk about? We didn't really talk about many Chapter 3 spoilers yet. We haven't talked about any, I think. Well, I guess we're three chapters in now, so we have a sampling of JK's writing. Anything, especially since we've obviously read the series multiple times, anything you're noticing in her writing that might stick out? I think, and again, this can only come from me having reread the series so many times, but it just impresses me. I truly think she put a lot of forethought into, you know, she had a whole big plan of where this series was going. And it really has stood out to me rereading these first three chapters. But then um, the other thing that has really stood out to me in this reread is how subtle she is. Like the seeds that she plants for us. I just, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of it is... She's really good at making us laugh. She is. She puts a lot of... I feel like at the beginning of this this book, um, she does a really good job of writing to her audience. Yes. And she knows that a lot of the people reading this book are going to be children, younger kids, more adolescent um, maybe at the, at the oldest. So you're kind of writing to that. You're kind of writing to a younger audience. You're kind of writing a little bit more humor, a little bit more childlike humor yes. in it. And, you know, obviously we both said in the first episode that we kind of grew up with the series and she does. She, that the writing grows and develops from yeah. here. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, if you're reading for this for the first time, which hopefully you're not, because we just spoiled a bunch for you. <laughs> um, but it's interesting if you're rereading along with us to just keep an eye on the progression of her writing and yep. where she kind of, you know, goes to. Which I'm sure she also grew in confidence when she f- was writing this book in particular. I mean, she's writing on a train. She's writing in a coffee shop. Completely broke. Absolutely. (laughs) Did I sit in every single seat in that coffee shop to make sure I sat in the one JK sat in? It's an elephant cafe in Edinburgh. Go there. Or Edinburgh, depending on where you're from. (laughs) (laughs) But yes. Only you, Dan. Um, But yeah, I think she definitely grows in confidence, and I'm sure that helps her writing style, too. Yeah, it's just something I wanted to kind of point out early in in the book. Um, And then from the perspective of reading it for the first time, I think chapter three and as we get into chapter four is really where this starts to take off. Yes. Is really where it starts to heat up and get really, really addicting. Yeah. Where you start to maybe not want to put it down for a little bit. Well, I do have to admit, I, I vividly remember reading this one for the first time. 
And it took me a long time because, I don't know if I've ever told you this, I read the first two books out of order. The first what? time I read them. You never told me this. Yes. So Scandalous. I know. I'm a terrible Harry Potter fan. Wow, talk about spoiler alerts. Wow, my <laughs> goodness. So what happened was, and I think I mentioned this um, when we talked about the first chapter, is that my mom wanted to read them before I was allowed to. So about halfway through her reading of the of Sorcerer's Stone, she realized, yeah, this was completely going to be okay for me to read, but she wanted to finish Sorcerer's Stone, and I just wanted to start reading. So I read Chamber of Secrets, and then when she was finished with Sorcerer's Stone, I picked it up, and it wasn't until, like, we're talking, like, almost towards the end of the book when you start getting into the oh, excitement yeah. and stuff like that, that I got really into it. All the introduction, I kind of already sort of knew, yeah. so I was a little bored. But now I love going back to it right. and reading all that. For completely different reasons. Exactly. Yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about it in the first episode, but Anna and I come from more conservative backgrounds, considering we went to private Catholic yes. grammar schools and, and high school. So the idea that we weren't allowed to read it, it was a thing. It was a real thing when the book was out and when the book was gaining massive popularity that... It was a big movement. Maybe this isn't good for young minds, the idea of witchcraft and, and, and things like that. Um, I would also like to say my mom ended up becoming one of the biggest defenders of Harry Potter. I mean, like stood up at parent meetings in schools saying, awesome. yes, your children should be reading this. That's awesome. It helped a lot of kids and a lot of yeah. adults, too, Yeah, really discover reading as a leisure activity. Yes. Um, it helped me. Uh, I mean, I, I said in the first episode that, you know, or maybe I didn't, actually, but that... You didn't, but I just knew this about you. <laughs> well, reading in school, like required reading was, you know, not something that I looked forward to. I wasn't, I didn't like being told what to read. I usually, if I was to read something, I wanted to find it on my own and be interested in it on my own. Harry Potter was one of those first ones that's like, hey, we're doing this in class, you know, um, read it on your own time, read it in, you know, whatever class time we get. By the way, I went to a Catholic grammar school. Yep, so the idea that, and it was a sister, her name was Sister Sharon. Uh, was the one that introduced us. So it was someone from that faith introducing me to this book of witchcraft and wizardry. Um, it's so much more than that, though. It, which is 100%. why I think people clearly, when they read it, figure out. There's a lot of depth to it. Um, even these first couple of chapters we've already talked about. Yes. A lot of more adult tones that mm -hmm. might skip over a 10-year-old or 11-year-old's head sure. um, that we're picking up now on rereads. And we're like, oh, wow, that's, <laughs> that's really rough. It's a special kind of book that I think a lot of people should pick up. Yes. I try and get everyone I meet to read Harry Potter. It's it's almost Even bad. adults. It's just not oh, necessarily yeah. a kid's book. So um, we obviously love it. And we obviously reread it. And we are <laughs> not children anymore. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So is, is there any other uh, spoilers you wanted to kind of talk about? Or... No, no, I don't think so. And chapter three was a pretty quick one. Uh, not a whole lot to really dissect too much. 
No, not really. It's kind of just setting up for the really exciting things to come in chapter four. I was going to say, chapter four starts really digging into some things. So let's go ahead and end it here. Uh, Thank you again for listening through. Please read along with us. Uh, We'll be tackling chapter four next week. Um, Let us know what your thoughts are, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.